Hey everyone, I'm Rob Lee, and this is Beloved Journal. Each week, I sit down with one of my friends as we discuss what it means to love and be loved. I'm not talking about romantic love, but the kind of love that leads us to empathy, compassion, and grace. Things our world desperately needs right now. Hey everybody, I'm so grateful that you're tuning in to Beloved Journal today. My name is Rob Lee and I'm the host. Today on the show we have Jay Baker. That name might not seem uh, familiar to you, but I'm sure his family is familiar to you. Jay is the son of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, some of the most uh, influential and popular televangelists of the late 20th century. Their story is a complicated history, much like many of ours. And Jay is a complicated figure uh, as he came out of the history of evangelicalism of his parents and now serves as a progressive pastor in Seattle, Washington. I hope you enjoy this interview. I hope you find meaning in it. And most importantly, I hope you realize that there is so much more nuance uh, to all that we uh, perceive and all that we understand if we just look for it. Let's listen in. Jay Baker, thank you so much for coming on Beloved Journal. Oh, you're welcome. Great, great to be here, so wherever you, we are. <laughs> right, right, right. So you're in Seattle right now. I'm in North Carolina, but we do have a North Carolina connection. You were from, you were born in Charlotte, right? I was born in Charlotte, North Carolina, yep, 1975. So, so you have that deep connection to that kind of red clay of the Piedmont, I'm, I assume, or you may yeah. completely block it out of your memory. No, no. I mean, it was my home until I was 11. And then probably for a year when in like, I think maybe when I was 12, 13, we lived there. So yeah, no, Charlotte was Charlotte, Fort Mill, Rock Hill, you know, um, I'm trying to think the, where the Jaeger Estates was, um, Pineville. Yeah. You know, Bojangles, Hardee's. <laughs> we have one right down the road here in Statesville. But, but Jay, so, so, so you grew up in Charlotte. Uh, you, like me, um, at least in, in the tele-evangelism world, have a name that is easily recognizable. Mine's recognizable because of a guy a long time ago um, doing it's some... It's not the, the, the Dukes of Hazard car? It is not the Dukes of Hazard car. You were right. Oh. A, a different guy <laughs> a long okay. time ago uh, that caused some, some real problems uh, for our country. You, on the other hand, have a much more recent connection to some problems that occurred in Christianity, uh, to how yeah. we viewed the Christian faith, to how kind of a reckoning, right, with Christianity. Why don't you tell us just a, a broad overview, a little bit about your family? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I think for anybody under probably 40, even probably don't really remember my, my folks. They might know my mom because of the work she's done with LGBTQ folks and because she's Tammy Faye. Um, but my, I, I was, my parents were raised assemblies of God. My mother was from Minnesota. My dad was from Michigan. They met a Bible college and got married and became children's puppet ministers and traveled around the country doing that and got really big doing that. And so big that a guy named Pat Robertson, who just owned a television station, didn't do TV at all, 
asked them to be on his TV station. And uh, it's really strange because people don't, there's certain things people don't remember, but my parents had this children's, the Jim and Tammy show, which was like a children's show. And um, it was actually one of the first things in Virginia beach to be integrated uh, in the set before the seventies in the early seventies. Um, and people were very uncomfortable with it, but my parents were not, they, they believed that that was what was supposed to happen. So I always like to add positive things about my parents as well. Um, because we're complex human beings, you know, anyway. So when my dad started this, he asked Pat, he's like, I want to do a talk show, like a, like a, like a, um, like a late night talk show, but Christian. And so Pat said, sure, go ahead and do it. So my dad started this show and my dad decided to call it the 700 club weirdly pat starts guest hosting every now and then then pat says i think i'm gonna take the show over and you can go get a new job so my parents leave and then go and start another ministry with some youth ministers friends of theirs named paul and jan and they start this thing called trinity broadcasting network tbn well falling out again so my parents leave and start something called the ptl club um where they started meeting in like an old furniture store and um, doing Christian television. And, and, and in a way, it was kind of like all of us trying to get on, you know, Facebook and YouTube and, and social media and, and getting out there because but that was the, the main way to get out there was through television. And so my parents started a television ministry and they just became huge. I mean, it just became big and big and bigger. And so my parents ended up buying really large property, outgrew that, bought even bigger property and became huge televangelists, um, pioneers in that field, and then built Heritage USA, which was like retreat center slash theme park, Um, you know, so it was like they had a, they built a water park and the, the concept behind it was to be like a campground, like an old revival type of like part, you know, camp. And so my parents built this like thing, like all of a sudden they started building hotels and then, you know, realizing people were bringing their kids and their kids were bored. So my dad built this water park and thought, you know, and almost started to become like a, um, like a Disneyland or a Disney, like a theme park. Um, you know, they had like, you know, arcades and miniature golf and pools and, things that people could do. So Christians started to come in vacation there and you could actually live on the grounds as well. Um, there was neighborhoods there and it just grew and grew and grew. And, um, it was Disneyland, Disney world and heritage USA as the most visited places in the country at the time. And in 87, my parents had a huge scandal. Now my dad was a big, um, prosperity gospel preacher. And the thing with that, I luckily a lot of us don't have to worry about now with, with social media and things like this is that with television, you have to raise tons of money if you don't have commercials. And I think my parents got into this kind of trap of needing to raise money. They had, I think my dad had to raise a million dollars every two days and really started to kind of compromise his message in order to bring in that kind of money. Um, but it was interesting because my parents also, like my mom and dad, both kind of like moved across so many boundaries. You know what I mean? Like 
people who weren't Christians watched them. Christians watched them. Every, some people watched them to make fun of them. Some of them watched them privately because they felt lonely, you know, because it was a network. It was a satellite network. So we, they actually had a satellite in space, you know, and um, 24 hours, seven days a week. My dad did five TV shows and uh, a sermon on Sunday. And my mom did 10 shows and Sunday. So they were like, and my dad was a workaholic because he was also building these hotels. I mean, he was down in the middle of it all and just raising all this money. So in, in 1987, um, it had come out that my dad had had an affair seven years earlier. And another pastor came in named Jerry Falwell, which a lot of us know, uh, senior, not junior, and said, hey, we want to help you out and restore you. So give us your ministry and, um, you know, take a year off, get your life back together. And my dad did that. And when he did that, Jerry followed, uh, had actually made the decision not to do the restoring and decided to call my dad everything but a son of God. And so my parents kind of became the butt of the butt of a joke. You know, it was it was almost as though everybody was kind of waiting for one of these televangelists to fall. And whoever fell first was going to get the brunt of everyone's anger. And so, you know, I watched my parents kind of be almost in a little way scapegoated. I mean, yeah, they had done some some bad things and not some great things, but they'd also done a lot of cool things. But I watched, you know, Saturday Night Live skits, preachers, you know, calling my parents the the cancer in the body of Christ. You know, so it was like all of a sudden everybody went from wanting to sit on the couch with my parents to hating my parents. And, um, you know, I was raised with bodyguards and things like that. And everything was gone just within that time. Um, you know, the house was the parsonage. So we had to move out of the pastor's house, you know, and, and Jerry Fowell was really weird about that and sent guards to watch over us as we moved out. And it was very traumatic for some me. I was 11. So, you know, my, I, there was a, you know, the, their Christian school I went to was at Heritage USA, you know, so like all my friends, everybody, you know, the employees were said, do not associate with the Baker family. If you do, you'll lose your job. So it was one of those things where it was just like your help, my whole life and everything I knew growing up literally was gone like that. And then two years later, my father uh, ended up going to prison. Uh, for mail fraud and wire fraud, um, basically saying they didn't that they didn't think he planned to finish building the buildings that he was building. Um, but that's I mean, it was the biggest scandal, one of the biggest scandals in the country. You know, I mean, I'm so grateful that there wasn't social media at that time. I don't think I would have survived it, to be honest with you. Um, and then years later, I, I decided to go into the ministry. God knows why. <laughs> we can talk about that a little bit. I do want to you know, when I was getting ready for this interview, I was telling my associate pastor, I work at a church that is predominantly LGBTQ. I'm the only straight person on staff. So we've got um, an associate pastor who is a drag queen and has a special affinity uh, for your late mother, who in some ways captivated an audience, as you said, that was not the typical like televangelist, like we got to get these people in front of a TV audience, like ideal audience, whatever. And, and so she did captivate an audience that was mm -hmm. not 
always what your father captivated or what other televangelists captivated. So I'm curious, one of the questions Leo wanted me to ask is, was your mother really the person she portrayed herself to be in her kindness and generosity uh, towards a community that was not her own, specifically the LGBT yes. community? Yes, yes, yes. My mother was, um, what you saw is what you get. And she, I think she was smart though, because she did play like a little kitschy you know, um, her and my dad were almost like, like the old, like, oh gosh, like George Burns and Gracie, you know what I mean? Like my dad was the straight man and my mom was the funny one. And so in 1985, um, my mom interviewed a openly gay man, gay pastor, MCC pastor with AIDS in 1985 on the biggest Christian television station in the world you know, and, which was, you big. know, I mean, that was, that was great. I, I, I can't stay understate for my audience uh, how big of an event that was, right? Like that earth shattering for some. No it one was, was talking about, shattering. wanted to talk about AIDS. Reagan didn't want to even say the word AIDS. Um, and the only reason my folks got away with it and didn't destroy their career was because they were the biggest pastors of the assemblies of God had because the Assemblies of God was angry about it, um, you know, but at that point, I mean, I think that's why when my parents fell, everybody was kind of like, ha ha, you know, like we didn't get support from that side either because they didn't like what loose cannons my parents were. Um, that's the one thing is my parents, both my mom and my dad, were always very graceful and very loving and very open to people and to outcasts. And um, they never had a, a them. There was never a them that I caught from my parents. It was always, we're all in this together and Jesus loves everybody. It wasn't real deep theology by any means, but, but in, in some ways it was the deepest theology because it was the cores, the, the, the real core. Like if you wanted to be a real fundamentalist, you would say, love God with all your heart, neighbor as yourself equally is important. Um, and they'd never talked about grace really, but they lived it. They really lived it with people. And, um, so that was, yeah, my mom was the real deal. I mean, she was never completely affirming. Um, but you know, she believed in, in, uh, what was it? Remember when we were doing gay marriage and everybody was like, uh, civil, civil, civil marriage, civil unions. Yeah. yeah. You know, she, she believed in civil unions and um which for yeah her, i mean she, for her time that, i'm not defending that stance but she has she really did offer something that other people of her time and of her uh you know stature did not and yeah. that, that was so amazing to leo and he wanted to offer that to you is that he felt like your mother was the real deal when it came to her reaching out to people and yeah, yeah, she really felt deeply. I mean, she wore the makeup because she thought she thought she was not attractive. So she wore a lot of makeup and, you know, she had her, her demons, you know, like we all do. Um, you know, she'd struggled with, you know, prescription medications, you know, she she had, you know, she, I mean, when you're working that much. I mean, the world's focused on you, it, it, it gets hard to deal with, um, you know, when you're human. And she was human. She was very human. And I really feel like I've, I've taken that from my mother a lot. I mean, she took me to my first gay, openly gay church, you know, and um, 
even though now that I went in, you know, looking back, you realize, oh, there was a lot of gay people that worked at, you know, here at USA, you know, it was kind of a don't ask, don't tell type of thing. But um, yeah, so it was, uh, yeah, she's, she's, she was life. When she passed away, I didn't see her body because she was so much life to me that I just, she was more than that body. She was really, there's something she encapsulated. And, and, you know, and I'm, I'm, I really like, I mean, I'm a 45 year old punk rock pastor. I don't even like the word pastor anymore, but, um, but, you know, and I feel like those ethics didn't just come from listening to a certain style of music, but I feel like those ethics came from watching my mom be who she was and not, taking her makeup when she became the butt of everybody's jokes because of her makeup. She didn't lighten her makeup. She didn't take it off. She just continued to be who she was. She didn't stop wearing wild clothes and things like that. She just was who she was. She didn't stop loving people. Um, you know, and so it, it was, it was pretty amazing to, to watch her survive the way she did. Yeah. Yeah. Both of my folks. Yeah. And I wonder too, you know, uh, it, well, I think, first of all, I think of Wesley's line, I learned more from my mother than all the theologians of England about God. And I think yeah. that's true for a lot of us in ministry is those mother-like figures, those people who have taken such a role in loving and showing compassion and abundance, if they do that, right, um, yeah. they, they become for us something that is bigger and larger than life because they've showed us the heart of God. And, and it sounds to me, at least in some ways, your mom did that. I'm curious. Oh yeah, she definitely laid a foundation for my work. I mean, I yeah. I, mean, I love I mean, I love Paul Tillich right now. I'm I'm doing a really intense very long-term study on Hegel and and things like that, but you know, um but she definitely laid the work for me to ask the questions. So recently though, your dad did make the news again. Um, mm -hmm. with some comments about the coronavirus and all that stuff. Yeah. How do you, I mean, I don't know, I don't even know how to ask this question beyond how do you feel about seeing that happen in such a way that could be damaging and harmful uh, because people do trust the Baker name? Um, well, you know, for me, it, 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 it's two, it's two ways. It's one is like, you know, he's been into that silver solution stuff forever. Um, I've never seen my dad really as a con man um, maybe someone who uh, he does, but he was never conservative like he is now either. So it's very hard for me to understand my father now. Um, I remember I understood my dad in the PTL days when he wouldn't, you know, like when presidents would ask him to, you know, promote them and, and ask people to vote for them. And, and he would say, no, you know, when the Christian coalition asked him to join, he said, no. You know, um, he wouldn't do things like that. And I don't know what, why he's changed the way he did. For me, it was a double-edged sword because in one way it was, you know, I remember I, wa I don't watch his show at all, ever. But I saw that clip, the coronavirus thing. And how wildly, too, it got the context of it got taken into, like he said it was a cure. And he, he, he asks the doctor that he has on the show does this help with the coronavirus? And she's like, well, it hasn't been proven on this strand. Now he has to take some responsibility for that. But I also watched like a lot of like really like liberal Christian, like right wing watch and stuff like that. Just come out and just hammer, hammer, hammer him. And I was like, guys, did you call him? No, no, no. 
you know, did you talk to him? Did you say, no, no. You know, it's like, so for me, it's like one of those things, like it's, he's always going to be an easy scapegoat for people. I don't agree with what he does, but at the same time, like, I feel like whatever he does is always going to be magnified in a negative way um, for people. And people are still kind of hungry to, to jump on him and like looking at the facts or having a legitimate discussion about it. Like I literally called people from right wing watch. I literally called people from, you know, these groups and said, Hey, can I talk to you about this? Not because I wanted to defend him, but I, what I wanted to say was, is do you think you're giving him a fair shake here? Right. You know, do you think right. you're, you're doing this? And um, I really had no reason to need to do that, but when you go through prison, when you, when you go through prison with somebody, when I, like I went with my dad as a teenager and visited him for five years and you watch none of these ministers show up, none of these people come and visit. And then we all go like, why did he do turn this way? You know, well, it's like any of you could have come and visited him in prison. I'm a pastor. I can visit anybody in prison. I want to, I have, you know, uh, Billy Graham came and visited him once, but you know, you know, when we, we, we were known as the only army that kills our wounded and we talk a big talk about restoration, but I've seen restoration work in two ways in the church. Either the pastor screws up and we just forget about it. We put them on back up and it becomes more toxic or we just completely get rid of them and their life is over. So we don't really practice restoration in a way that says we're going to give grace but with justice, we're going to give grace, but with accountability, and we're going to do actual restoration. So actual restoration doesn't seem to exist, especially in the evangelical church. It's either just kind of like we wink or we kill you. And so for me, I have a different view of, of people. I have a different, also my message is grace. My message is trying to understand people. My message is also understanding that we all have contradictions um, in a Hegelian way. And so it's always trying to look at both sides and do the research and do the hard work and not scapegoat others, because I think that simple thinking uh, continues to divide us in the church. I think you're right. And I, I'm actually. I mean, feel free to push back, man. No, I, I'm not going to push, push back. back. What I'm amazed at, I'm kind of taken aback. I, I'm normally very easy, like have words to say, but you have every right to be mad at your, your folks and the people yeah. around your folks. And, and yet here you are saying we are a people of contradictions. And though I disagree, I still have some sense of sympathy for the fact of their humanity. I, yeah. I actually think that's far bigger of a human than most people are right now. Uh, in, in this world that we have like polarized ourselves politically, racially, socioeconomically, the tendency is just to say, well, they're not us. Yeah. That is not who we are. And yet we both have white skin. And so we have both not only whether we intended to or not had racist moments, uh, whether we claim to be anti-racist or not, we've had moments where we've been like that or homophobic or whatever. Mm -hmm. We've all made the jokes, but, but, but to the point, you are showing grace in a way that I think humanity needs to see more because you're saying grace is important, but people have nuance. Like yeah. there's nuance to, to your dad and late mother. There is nuance to the story that has been told that, you know, even the most progressive of the progressive in terms of grace might not be willing to see in this moment. 
Yeah, I mean, people want to put an asterisk on grace. It doesn't matter if you're progressive or you're conservative. There's always an asterisk on grace. And I truly believe that grace is anarchy. And, um, and, and so it doesn't, it moves outside of our rules and our laws and all the things. And I think what Paul, when Paul talked about grace, he shows that, you know, the junior Gentile slave, nor free male, nor female, you know, um, in a way it's almost like we embrace a lack that we all have, you know, and, and he gets rid of the hierarchy and he gets rid of the lowarchy, maybe, <laughs> you know, the, the us and thems, you know, and we're in a time where we don't want us and thems, but then we desperately want us and thems. And, you know, so it, it's, it's hard to, to go through this, this world. I mean, I, I have, I mean, I probably have a thousand tweets I've never sent because, you know, I don't think people would understand it and that's a, it's not a great form to communicate, but um, so, yeah, it, I don't think we're going to get anywhere if we keep this kind of dualistic type of thinking. I mean, it's been a heartbreak for me to watch the progressive church use the similar tactics that the evangelicals used in the 80s and 90s. You know, this kind of like, if you're not with us, you're against us. Or, you know, I, I remember seeing a lot of people like, if you voted for Trump, you're not a Christian. I'm like, why? Well, I, I remember hearing that about like, if I voted for, because I'm a lifelong Democrat. And so um, I, I don't even know if I'm a Democrat anymore. I, I really don't, the political system is really, I'm really disillusioned by it. But, um, but when I was, you know, working at a Christian TV station doing camera work at 16, you know, and everybody telling me, you know, you know, that Bill Clinton was the Antichrist and that if I believed in Bill Clinton, I couldn't be a Christian, you know, and I was just like, oh, and it's like to return those favors. And like, if you voted for Trump, you shouldn't, you know, you, you know, leave your family members who don't talk to your family members who voted for Trump, you know, because you're, you're blah, 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 you know, and I'm like, yeah, but we were telling people to leave their, you know, if your kids are gay, kick them out of the house. You know, it's like this. That's not Christianity. I mean, Christianity says love your enemies, you know, be kind to them. It says restore them. I mean, it doesn't say we don't have to have hard conversations, but I believe in arguing well and not going straight to war with each other and not scapegoating each other. And that probably comes from the way I what I grew up and what I saw growing up, you know, and, and how quickly I saw people willing to just throw you out and I watched everybody throw my family out you know conservatives and progressives and the secular world and just everything I mean it was just that was it you know and so you live you have to live through that and that you learn lessons in life through that and you realize that life is complicated and people are complicated and uh you know there's not many people actually like curling their mustache going, ah, 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 you know, you've got to check what are their motives behind that, you know? So, so I wonder, Jay, you're, you're a pastor now, much like your family doing very mm -hmm. different work. And I mean, people can't see this because it's a podcast, but you look very different uh, with tattoos and different things than what your family looked like. That said, you will always carry the name. Yeah which is something that I live with too. Honestly, people say, well, why don't you change it? It kind of goes back to what you were saying. It's about reclaiming, restoring, redeeming. And that's re honestly why I keep my name. Yeah. But I wonder in the grand scheme of things, when you get to the end of wherever this is headed, um, you know, you're 45 now, you've got plenty of time to go. So don't worry about that. But, but that's, that's good. To know. 
I, I, hey, I got, got, got an in with the big guy. So <laughs> when you get to the end of this life, what do you want it to be said? Not of your family, but of Jay. Oh, man, I don't know that that he. That he preached too much grace, that he was that he, he, he was too reliant on grace, that he showed that he showed too much grace, you know. Because I honestly. Want to be able to live such a life of grace. That it it makes people uncomfortable. You know, uh, and that's what Dr. King taught me through Dr. King's writings and reading. I mean, the compassion he had for the people who were literally killing his brothers and sisters and saying, you know, I see these folks as victims of misinformation blows my mind. I know why a lot of people don't like King, you know, and, and think, yeah, King was okay, but, you know, because King really loved everybody. You know, when I remember reading a quote where he said, you know, I don't want black power. I don't want white power. If I want anything, maybe I want poor power. I want the poor people to have power, you know, and, 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 and him seeing like beyond racist lines and seeing like the, the evils of capitalism and, 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 and seeing like the real base of the problem and um, seeing the complexities of humanity really blew me away. And so it convicted me even more to, to read Dr. King, you know, so it's, yeah, man, it's, you know, I mean, I, I hope I can challenge people to think well, like I'm not in the job of trying to win people to Jesus or convince people that Jesus is the only way or anything like that. What I want to, to do is encourage people to think critically and argue well. And, um, and not scapegoat each other, man. I just, like, I was thinking today, like, it's just like, I don't like the term pastor anymore. I don't really like the term church really that much anymore, just because there's so much infighting. And then I watch, I read all these different things like on social media. And I know you're a big Twitter guy. I see you on there all the time. And, you know, people are like, well, the pastor should preach this way, or the pastor should do this, or the church should do that. You know, I'm going like, well, that's a really big, like, huge white of like what, you know, you're talking about all these different types of churches and all have different communities and all have different things, you know? And it's like, and half these people aren't pastors who are saying this, you know what I mean? It's like, you don't know what it's like to walk in our shoes and, be, and they're like, oh, these arrogant bastards, you know, I'm like, you know, I, I, I mean, <laughs> I don't, I'm not rich, you know, I, I live in, in affordable, like housing, you know, like, I, I can barely, you know, I'm, I do my job that I love because I don't believe in capitalism in a lot of ways because I believe in doing what I love and what I'm passionate about. But I also have two kids that I have to take care of and, and be their dad. Um, so I have to have two bedrooms rather than one bedroom. You know, I mean, you know, so it's like. I, I just get tired of all these blanket statements and these easy scapegoating. And, you know, um, I think it, it, it hurts people's work when they do it because it makes them seem to me like they're lazy. Like they're only, they're doing the surface thinking and I get angry and I get, I get pain. I understand that. But like, I've had a lot of people who like scapegoat pastors and their families and I'll come in and I'll say, Hey, well, what did you think about this? Think about this. And then just be like, you're not welcome here. Like you don't have a voice at the table, you know, 
And so for me, it's, it's, it's always really interesting just to kind of see how we all want to escape. You know, we all have different levels of us and them. When I lived in, in Minneapolis uh, a few months ago, I was there when the George Floyd uh, murder happened and going through all that. Um, but I lived with the majority of the people I lived in with, in my community were Somalian that I lived with. And you want to talk about a group that was being discriminated against, but nobody talks about, nobody, you know, dealt with, you know, what they were going through. And so, you know, there's always another level. There's always another them. There's another bottom of the barrel and uh, that we don't see, you know, um, you know, I was reading something yesterday. It was like, when are we going to start talking about, you know, young Hispanic men who are being killed by police officers and things like that. I mean, it's just constantly like there's just constant trauma. But unfortunately, the media and social media just pump in what we're going to see and what and we're going to think. Wrong, too. I mean, to think about the, the, the problems that we've amassed. I yeah. Mean, think about it. If you've mentioned Somalian uh, racism against the Somalian community, racism against the Hispanic community, violence against the Hispanic community on top of the already disproportionately affected black community by racism, yeah. bigotry and violence. I mean, we've got our work cut out for us, right? Like we that's, do. I mean, and so your, your radical grace that you're offering that extravagant and abundant grace uh, makes it seem daunting, doesn't it? It is daunting. But, you know, one of the things you tr I try to do is, uh, you know, the Bible talks about we're all different parts of the body. And rather than saying, well, you're not the whole body, so you're something wrong with you. What I try to do is go like, you know, there are people doing great work. Like there's Shane Claiborne does this type of work. You know what I mean? Or this person does that type of work. You know what I mean? And encouraging those people who do the work that I don't do, you know, and realizing that I can't do all of it, you know, and I can't speak out on all of it. And there's people speaking louder that, that need to be heard. You know, it's like when I... I became a gay rights activist in, uh, gosh, it's been 15, at least 15 years ago. Um, you know, people needed an ally to come out and speak, but now I have a lot of LGBTQ people who can speak for themselves. So I don't need to come out and speak. You know, I don't need to talk on their behalf. If they called me and say, we need you to do something, hell yeah, I'll be there. But, but the fact is, is, is also recognizing that there's people doing great work that I don't have to do anymore. Um, unfortunately, we have this thing of where we put people on these unrealistic pedestals and we expect them to do everything and to cover everything. And, uh, and then you end up burning out and then you end up becoming, oh, see, look what happened to them. It's like, no, you know, it's like we can't all, you know, and I feel like there's a, a, a pressure right now from the, the, like the woke community, the progressives community is, is to cover everything. And to do it a certain way. And it's like, you know, I, I don't follow the law, not the old law or not a new law. You know, that's why I love punk. You know, I'm, I'm not going to follow your rules. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to live and I might piss you off, but it's not because I don't like you. It's just because I, I think there's another way. I, I think this, this binary thinking is, is, is bad. I believe in dialectics, you know, where two opposites can sometimes be right. I mean, I learned that through dialectic behavioral therapy in my, you know, that changed my life. It got me to where I am now. I mean, I've had a hell of a ride and, um, and the dialectics that, that Hegel talks about, you know, these are, these are real things, you know, we, we can go deeper and, and it's important to do that.
Well, Jay, I am thank you, thankful that you were willing to go deep with us today. I'm thankful for yeah. your ministry. Where can people find you online if they want to get in touch with you? Well, they can find I'm I luckily uh, I'm addicted to social media. So um, <laughs> I have I'm Jay Baker on Twitter. Two K's. Luckily, I have two K's. So I got my name. I'm Jay Baker on Instagram. That's Instagram is probably where I spend most of my time. Twitter is kind of a love hate relationship with, with Twitter. Um, and I also Facebook Jay Baker, but you can also go to revolution. Um, church is on Facebook. We do our services every Sunday at 11 o'clock, uh, Pacific North, <laughs> whatever. West. Yeah. Pacific. Yeah. Yeah. Pacific Seattle time. Seattle time. Um, and so we do um, that. So you can find us online anywhere. Because of course, COVID, we don't have, you know, we moved, I moved out here during COVID, me and, and uh, my co-pastor. And so we don't have a building. We're just kind of doing services from right here where you see this, right? You know, so we're just doing that right now and hopefully going to find a bar or something where we can start to meet and, and do that type of work. That's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on Beloved Journal. You're welcome. Beloved Journal is produced by Stephanie Lee and hosted by Rob Lee. Our theme music is by Mipso, the best band in the world. Connect with us on belovedjournal.com, and if you like what you heard, tell someone about it.